It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Hey, everybody. Good morning. It is Monday morning. And it, it's time for down to earth. It's time for us to have a down to earth conversation on this Monday morning. It's the first Monday in January of 2020. So it's the first Monday in the month of January. And it's also the first Monday of the decade. Imagine that. So it's a kind of a momentous occasion. Here we are on the first Monday, right? The first, very first working day of the decade. So it also means that the holidays are over. So it's time to take the Christmas decorations down. How many of you still have your Christmas decorations up? Kind of slowly take my hand down because I don't usually take it down until after the 15th of January. I know I'm slow in taking it down. So help me. Pray for me. I need prayer. (laughs) Don't I? Don't you think I need prayer? I need some serious prayer to take my Christmas decorations down. But pray for us as we continue to, on our journey, on down to earth, as we talk about the issues that matter. Uh, Today on our show, we're going to talk about something that might just uh, be something that we haven't looked at recently because of all the stuff going on about World War III or whatever. But in recent times, a Harvard professor was denied tenure. So we're going to talk about higher education and the role that are played by students of color and professors who teach them. Professors invariably represent the student body and invariably look like the students and have similar experiences. So it's not unusual for these professors to mentor their students in in navigating the halls of academia. And so we find ourselves smack dab in the middle of the story about a Harvard professor who is of Dominican descent. That means she came from the Dominican Republic in the Caribbean and who found that she was denied tenure at Harvard for no other reason. She had done all the academic requirements. She had fulfilled all the academic requirements. She's published. She has done all the research. And it seems as if uh, professors of color, particularly women, are often subjected to uh, more requirements, needing more requirements, and so on. And it, it's really not fair because it's, it's kind of like, why would you do that uh, uh, when people are actually doing what they do? It's, it, it's not fair. The burden that is placed, the requirements and the standard are set so much higher for women and especially women of color in academia, they're required to do more work that they're not paid for. They're required to do more, fulfill more assignments that they're not being remunerated for. Whereas a typical white male just walks in there and and he gets it. So we're gonna talk about that and the roles that are played by students of color in, in academia. And more importantly, as you navigate some of these fields, uh, I feel that an education is an education. 
I feel that you go to an Ivy League school because you can't afford it. And I also feel that you go to an Ivy League school because of the networking opportunity. That's the main purpose, because they have to fulfill what? They have to fulfill the requirements as laid down by the Department of Education. So for you to obtain a bachelor's degree in music, it has to comply with the standards set by the U.S. Department of Education, right? Right? And the accrediting board, right? Okay. So a degree in music, what's the difference between a degree in music from Harvard and, say, from an HBCU or, say, from another school like Michigan State University or Central Michigan University or Eastern Michigan University? It's the networking. It's the perceived, get this, it's the perceived prestige that we attributed to it. And that's what they play on. So it's time now for there to be a change. I've always told my children that a four-year degree is a four-year degree. A law degree is a law degree. A degree in medicine is a degree in medicine. That you go to those schools for networking. So don't beat yourself up if your law degree or your medical degree did not come from Harvard or Stanford or Yale or Princeton. Don't beat yourself up. Just do your best, get your degree, and make something out of it. Now, as people of color, it is very difficult for us sometimes to explain to others what it means to be a person of color because a typical white person can never understand or walk in my shoes. You can never understand what it means to be a person of color. You can never understand the hoops that I have to jump through to be me and to do something that you, for instance, a typical white woman my age or with my set of circumstances would go through. And these are the barriers that prevent people from moving forward. And they have to be broken down because they're based on nothing but the color of your skin. That is wrong. That has always been wrong. Being black and brown has always been a problem. And in today's world, we are saying that being black and brown means that I'm a human being and that I am just as entitled and I am just as worthy of having any opportunity than anybody else, just like anybody else. And so as we look at this story, I'm going to post the link to it. I I found it on the New York Times. I, I want us to look at it and listen to what I have to say within the context of diversity and inclusion, but within the context of our humanity. This is just a down-to-earth conversation. This is a down-to-earth way to look at it. Because at the end of the day, let's just be clear, we both end up, if we both were to end up in an emergency room, God forbid, and you need blood, and I have the blood that you need, based on the color of your skin, And the color of my skin, are you not going to take the blood that I have that is life-saving? You're going to take the blood. So if the blood determines that we are all human and is the line and the standard that determines our humanity, why are we worried about what this looks like on the outside? Why are we worried about what that looks like? What do we sound like? Anywhere you go in the world, type O blood is type O. 
Anywhere you go in the world, type A blood is type A. Anywhere you go in the world, type B blood is type B. Why should the color of one's skin matter in the space, in the sphere of things? Why? Why do we still, in spite of the evidence that we have today, in spite of all the medical evidence we have today that my heart can work in your body and your, your kidneys can work in my body, why are we still concerned about the color of the skin? In China, for instance, they harvest organs from people, from ethnic people. They consider them ethnic because they're not traditional Chinese. And they harvest their organs. So they don't care that they don't look like Chinese on the outside. All they're concerned about is that their organs are harvestable. And their organs will work in any Chinese body. We're still consumed by this imperialist notion of color. And that white is the only standard. And that being white and being as close to white as possible is the only standard that is acceptable. And we're still conveying that attitude and conveying that, even when we say we're not racist, even when we say there's absolutely not a racist bone in my body, we're still saying that. Look at this professor, Professor Pena at Harvard. She mentors students of color, especially Latino students. Now, Harvard says recently says that they have a program to engage people and they take in all sorts of students. The problem is when those students do get on campus, they don't have many people in academia to represent their interests. There are not enough programs and there are not enough studies around who they are so that their voices can be heard. Let's just be clear. America is not a white nation. America is a multiracial nation made up of people of different lands and different colors. Most people might not like it, but it already has been established. So why is the African DNA is more powerful than that of the European? Who says that? Who says one DNA is more powerful than the other? If we continue to think like that, then we are continuing to perpetuate the idea of supremacy. That's not what this is about. This is not about being supreme. There's no... Remember Hitler and the Third Reich? Remember? Be careful when you espouse ideology like that because that's what Hitler said. Hitler exposed on, espoused the idea that being white was supreme and was superior to every other ethnic group on the planet. And look where that ended up. He ran rummage through Europe, and if he could have reached America, he would have. He destroyed people. So you have to be careful with the idea of supremacy and the idea that one race is superior to the other. That idea no longer holds water in today's discourse, not economically, not financially, not culturally, not anything. In fact, the more you look at history and culture, is the more you realize that black and brown people have a greater contribution to the world's culture than anybody else. Let's just be clear. All over the world, especially in Europe and Asia, right, and in certain parts of, and in Africa, Look at the ancient Egyptian civilization and look at their contribution to modern architecture and modern engineering. Look at the culture 
recently, in about a year or two ago, we discovered that in, in England, England had confiscated some Nigerian art and was displaying it as if it's theirs. Return the bloody things to Nigeria. That's not yours. Return it and give the people credit. So when you look at culture, black and brown people have contributed more to the world's culture than anybody else. And yet we still continue to support the ideology of white supremacy. That's what is reigning at Harvard. The idea that being white is the only way you can achieve tenureship. I'm forever amazed as I look at faculty across the country. It is amazing to me, disproportionately, that there are more white who are in, in, in positions and faculty than anybody else. It does not mean that people of color are any less qualified. In fact, I found more adjunct professors were people of color. That means they weren't tenured, they weren't getting paid, they were doing the work, but were not getting paid. It's still about the money. Don't you get that? It's still about the money. And with money comes influence and prestige. With money comes, I'm going to say it again, with money comes influence and prestige. So if they can deny you the money, you won't have the influence that is effective. Now, as far as I'm concerned, if you don't have money, I, I would never send my kids to Harvard unless I'm wealthy and I can afford to pay for it. Because from what I have learned and read, if you go to Harvard and your net worth is less than a million dollars, you are going to be subjected to some serious issues. Your child is likely to come out spurned and, and, and perhaps not as socially balanced as they should be. Not when you look around Harvard and most of the people who are, who are cleaning the school look like your kids and look like you. That's never going to be healthy. That's not a healthy mindset. So I wouldn't, I'm not one of those, I don't believe in this Ivy League school thing. I don't believe in this elitist stuff. I don't believe in it. I believe when it comes to education, that the best education you have access to is the best education. Strive for the best. But if the best is going to bring you all of that, then you need the four-year degree and just get the four-year degree on a piece of paper and then go change the world. It is in you to change the world. It's not the piece of paper they have just given you. There are many people who have graduated Harvard and Yale and Princeton. Doesn't mean that they are better at anything. It just means they have greater access to networking. So they get more done because they have an alumni association. Maybe other schools need to form a more successful alumni organization. Because Europeans are running things. Well, it's time to change that. There are more now, if you look demographically at the United States, for instance, this is where we are. We live here, right? If you look demographically at the United States, it's disproportionate. There are more black and brown people than there are white people. That's unsettling for white people, Right? Because there are more black and brown people and white people still retain positions of power, positions of dominance that determine how things get done. That's the problem. We're in, we're in the midst of a cultural shift. And this cultural shift is causing everything to quake 
and shift and move. Because black and brown people are saying, I'm just as educated, I'm just as qualified. Why am I not getting the position? Why Harvard is denying Dr. Pena a tenured position? And she's eminently qualified. Why? Because she's brown. For no other reason. She fulfilled all the academic requirements. I am always surprised at some of these schools. And these colleges and higher higher education institutions, I'm surprised that I can see a 30-year-old and a 35-year-old college professor who is white, and the black or brown college professor is 65. It amazes me, and I'm like, so you, what what was so different about you? What did you study? Nothing. You got there on the coattails of your great grandparents who set up the racist system that we live in. That's what that is. And it's time to change that. We have to confront ourselves and look at the fact that we're not doing anything that is contributing positively to the environment. We're not helping people. Harvard said, well, I have uh, students of color and I have, there's so many companies who like to say they have a diversity and inclusion program. But at the top, there's still only one person of color for the 20 or 15 other persons in positions of power. That's not being diverse or inclusive. You go and you apply for jobs, and they research you to determine your demographics before they hire you. They don't tell you that they do, but they do. So the person who is less qualified for the job, who is white, they're going to get the job. But you, with your master's degrees, have you noticed how many people of color now have a PhD? Man, I was watching something yesterday, and I'm like, my head literally spun around, because on the stage, there were like people, like there were about 10 PhDs. And I'm like, but none of you are earning $300,000 a year. How are you paying back that student loan? But the bigger question to me was, why do you have to feel that you have to possess these degrees to be included on the stage. Whereas a white person has a community college degree and is on the same stage with you. And there you are, black and brown, with three degrees, including a PhD or two. And the white person barely graduated high school and is on the same stage. Do you not see there's something wrong with that? All I'm saying is that the students of color everywhere want to see themselves represented in academia. And the time has come for that. And that's only fair, isn't it? It's only fair. If you're going to teach me about my ethnicity, and if you're going to teach me about my gender, then what's your qualifier? What qualifies you? You must be able to resonate with the similar experiences that I have had. If you have had those experiences, then you're not qualified to teach me on gender and ethnic studies. And that's all students of color are saying. I want to be more represented in academia. I want to know that there are professors who understand the uniqueness of my situation. Because let's face it, black and brown people historically have had more financial and economic challenges than the white parts of the population. Therefore, the barriers that black and brown students have to overcome are even greater. They do need representation in academia. They do need somebody who understands that more than anybody else. 
that shouldn't be a problem for Harvard, is it? Seriously? Dartmouth? Brown? I'm naming all these Ivy League institutions. Because you all made them Ivy League. You all said, oh, if I could go to Princeton and get a degree, I would, I would make it in life. Why? You go there and they treat you like doctored, and you walk out of there with a chip on your shoulder that for the rest of your life you are working hard to overcome the stigma that just being there was attached to you. Have you been around academia who are white? They act as if everybody else is a lower form of humanity on the planet. It's disgusting. They treat students of color as if, and some of them grew up eating possum down south. And they are probably one generation removed from extreme poverty. But they treat people of color as if they're lesser human beings. This this stuff has got to stop. This has got to stop. So many black and brown people have multiple degrees and are paying off huge student loans just to be able to earn $90,000 a year. You heard it, $90,000 a year. Whereas their white colleague with a bachelor's degree is earning six figures. But you with your PhD is still earning seventy dollars to eighty dollars to $90,000 a year. In debt through the roof, trying to live well, paying off some heavy student loan debt, living off credit, driving yourself crazy, and then you retire with all the degrees that you have. You retire, and if you're not careful, you might end up with a house that you can't afford, you have to downsize, or you live in the same house you've lived in in the last 35 years. But you have five degrees, though, and still paying off debt. Does that make sense? No, because you're trying to tell, you tell yourself, and the society has made you feel that in order for you to compete, you must have You must be qualified to the ninth degree. You must have five degrees. And a white professor is looking at you like he has a master's degree. Maybe he's written one paper in the last 10 years. But there is Professor Pena busy churning out papers, stressing herself out, and can't get a tenure. Man, if I had the money, I would start a university. And it would be populated equally with people of color so that students of color can see themselves represented. I might do that. Might just be one of the things that I do. Because this has got to stop. This has to stop. It's not enough for all of this to to go on. It's too much. There there are too many. Listen, in in a few weeks, I'm going to have Professor Kevin Washington on. And he's going to talk about the science of epigenetics. And what is in our DNA and how it manifests. And all of this mistreatment, I'm hearing you, my Barbara, I'm hearing you, right? All of this mistreatment is contributing to how we respond to situations of violence. All of this. I talk about it in my home. My children hear it and internalize it. They're going to talk about it in their homes. Their children are going to hear it and internalize it. This stuff has got to stop. Right? Let me see what people are saying here. Uh, but keep up the good work. The Afri- African-American need what? Uh-huh. Thank you. Right? We have got to pay more attention. We have got to stop believing in this white power and white supremacy. 
It is, has destroyed us as a civilization, in case you missed it. We are at that moment where we are testing the boundaries of our civilization. And we just might implode simply because we refuse to accept change. We refuse to accept that black and brown people are equally as educated, are equally as smart, are equally as qualified, and it's time to break the pie up and to share the pie equally. We still want to hold on to our little positions and our little corners, yeah, and our little parts of the pie. As if in holding on to it, you're going to hold it for generations. I got news for you. It ain't going to work. In less than 20 years, this whole thing is going to change. Here in the United States, the demographics are trending brown. I spoke to a university uh, president a, a few months ago back in the spring, and I was shocked to learn that a lot of the move that you're seeing in education reform comes from the fact that there are more brown students entering high schools and are not going on to college. So private institutions, smaller private schools, are finding it very difficult to maintain their status because very few people are attending them. That's what's causing all the problems. There are more brown and black students entering high school. In places like Texas, for instance, California and Florida, those are the trendsetters. That's where they're seeing the indication that the population demographic and dynamic has changed. And especially when the economy is good, people don't go back to school to get a degree because they can work and live. They don't bother. So you have those two factors, but the primary factor is the color factor. The fact that brown students are entering the educational system, it has just thrown white America into an uproar. They don't know what to do. What are we going to do? Do you see where I'm coming from? We've got to change the way we think. This is a new season. This is a new year and a new decade. I tell you that by the end of this decade, America is going to be 50% brown. In fact, that's not me saying that. That's what the indicators are. We're going to be a minority majority. That means the minority 53% of the country will be made up of minorities, brown people, Hispanics, descendants of Hispanics, and black people. Did you hear me? We're going to be a minority majority. And the minority is going to be eclectically mixed, dynamic, but mixed. And that's going to be the majority. And this is going to happen by 2030. It used to be 2050. That's changed as we move forward. So the people then who are social scientists are looking at this and they're going crazy. And they're like, we better hold on to more power. We better put more white people in power so that they can determine what happens to the new population. So they don't, they either die out from lack of good health care or they dialed from lack of services and don't give them any jobs so they can never work to take care of their families. So stress and high blood pressure and diabetes will kill them off, give them bad food to eat, make sure the food is filled with pesticides so they will die from cancer. I kid you not. 
And all of that is still not going to change the fact that we're going to be a minority-majority country. My friends, we've got issues. And the issues that we have is that we must confront the fact that we cannot continue to exclude a majority of the population. It is inconceivable that an institution of higher learning would not have an ethnic, a major in ethnic studies. How is that possible when we're such a diverse country? How is that possible? How is it possible that we're going to ignore the Native Americans who were here before the rest of us? How is it possible that we're going to leave and think we can put them on a reservation and control them? How? 400 years after blacks first arrived in the United States into the Americas, you still believe that you can keep a group of people down by incarcerating them, making sure they're robbed of economic opportunities? And you think that that's a business model that's going to continue. Listen to me very carefully. Slavery did not fail because a group of white people determined that slavery was wrong. Slavery failed as a business model. It was not sustainable. Think about that for a minute. Slavery did not fail because a group of nice white people who are non-racist determined, who lived in the northern part of the United States, determined that slavery was wrong. No, it failed as a business model. It could, just couldn't be sustained. You had to invest so much money to go way over across the Atlantic. And in those days, crossing the Atlantic was treacherous. You didn't have the right tools, equipment. It was a long journey. Some of them died on the way over. So as a business model, it simply failed. That's all that it was. So they're still trying to find new ways to hold on to the idea of enslavement, even though the laws have changed over 160-odd years ago. The last slave ship that departed Benin in West Africa was chartered by a man from Alabama. It was illegal in the United States. It was illegal according to the international trade laws, and he still did it anyway. And he brought people and dropped them in some place in Alabama. They're still there to this day. They should be the ones who should file a class action lawsuit because they have the evidence that they were brought here, human trafficked from another country, a whole other continent across the, 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 the slave passage. It's called the Middle Passage across the Atlantic. You can't deny that. White America, you have to deal with that. You have to come to terms with that, that your ancestors did that, and that you today continue to perpetuate that by robbing and denying students of color entry into organizations and into, in, in, into institutions, by robbing people like Dr. Pena of tenureship. You're still perpetuating that, that myth. 160 years later, and now the society has changed. Information is widespread. Everybody now knows the truth. Everyone has access to information. But still, we continue to hold on. It's much like what I see in, in, in organized religion, in Christianity, for instance. I'm a Christian. I am a professed Christian. I'm an ordained minister. 
But what I see in organized religion is the same form of repressive oppression that has resulted in the split in the United Methodist Church, where the LGBTQ ministers and bishops said they want their own synod. They want their own organization because of oppression and repression, the refusal to understand that social change comes. Every generation changes. The baby boomers are on their way out, but they brought in a huge change 40, 50, 60 years ago, didn't they? They changed everything. And that change, we're still dealing with the consequences of the social revolution. And still, some parts of the society still refuse to deal with that change. And in refusing to deal with it, we're marginalizing people who have the power. They have the power to vote, and they have the power to have a say-so. It doesn't even make sense. In other words, what I'm saying is the change occurred whether you agreed or liked it or not. You didn't have as much power as you thought you would because while you were busy controlling the society and the undercurrents changed. While you were busy trying to rob people of opportunities, making sure that you had quotas, how many black, how many brown bodies you were going to hire. While you had stricter requirements for black people entering organizations, they have to have a PhD. When a white person who supervises them didn't barely graduated high school. And you thought that that was going to continue. It failed. If slavery as a business model failed, why did you think this form of economic oppression was going to continue? Think about it. Hmm? Think about that. Right here, Harvard is supposed to be better. See, this is the thing that I talk about. This neoliberalism that pretends that it's not racist. Harvard is considered a bastion of liberalism and liberalist thought. Huh? Is, aren't they? Non-biased, non-rate, non-prejudiced, non-racist. But they denied a woman of color a tenure. Think about that. But yet you are liberal. No, you're not. You're just as racist. Racism is still racism. Racism is based on the ideology that my color white is more superior than your color and your color. That's what racism is based on. It's based on that ideology that the white person is superior to everybody else. That is the thought. So no, Harvard is not liberal. When it comes right down to it, they're still they still believe in the supremacy of being white. <laughs> I guess you'll never see me speaking there, right? <laughs> they wouldn't have people like me there. Nah. They call they would say I'm radical. First of all, I don't conform. I don't conform to any kind of ideology that is going to repress me as an individual. There's, it's one thing obeying the laws of the land. You can't, don't drive drunk, get a driver's license, stuff like that. Don't break the law. That's one thing. But it's the hidden laws that are the problem. 
That's the problem. There's no law that says racism. So how are you going to break that? That's how it is written, though. That's exactly how it is written. Do you see where I'm coming from? So we have some things to think about. We have some things to do and to think about. Where do we really want to go from here? What is it that we're going to try to achieve? What do we want to become? What do we want history to say about us? We, we want history to say we were nice people, that as a culture, we impacted world culture in a positive way. We impacted the lives of people in a positive way. What do we want people to say? What do we want? It, it, do you think this current history that we're living right now is going to be written, written by the winners who are white? No. No, it's not. All of us are writing history. And the people at the National Archives who store our tweets and so on, they're not going to delete something just because it was written by a white person or something because it was written. They're going to collect it all. Because 100 years from now, people are, who will be alive are going to know what you and I thought. What were, what were we thinking collectively? Did we not realize that this was never going to work? If slavery as a business model never worked, why did you think reshaping slavery, calling it by a different name? Because that's what it is. Call it economic empowerment. Yeah? And if doing that is not going to fail as well, you've got to be kidding me. I gave you more credit for being smarter than I thought. It's time to include everyone. <laughs> you don't, you're not going to have a choice. In a few, there are going to have to be brown and black people who are in positions of power. That's just how it's going to be because the majority, the minorities, minority will be the majority. And the minority who are accustomed to being in control and powerful, will suddenly find themselves, the majority, who used to be, are suddenly going to find themselves without a foothold. Part of what we are seeing is they're losing, they're feeling the slip. It's a slide. So they're controlling it. It's too late. The horse has already gone through the gate, as my grandmother would say. That horse done galloped right through it all into the pages of history. We're writing a living history. This is a historical moment. We're not going to like it. We don't like it. We don't like how we sound. We don't like how it feels. It feels like, oh, I thought we had gotten rid of racism and civil rights. No, it's still there. But the record has to reflect that there were attempts being made. Which side of the fence are you going to be on? If you're white, what side of the fence do you stand on? Are you hiding under white supremacy and benefiting from it? Knowing that the black person who sits next to you, you, they're more qualified than you are, but they get the job and they didn't get the job, but you did. And you know that they have a degree you don't and you earn more money than they do. You get better interest rates on loans. So they're paying out more out of their paycheck than you do. So you always have more money left. 
after you've paid your bills because you get a better interest rate on your mortgage, on your car notes, on your credit card, on every kind of loan you take simply because you're white. All of that is going to change because those are the the same variables that have created economic disempowerment among people of color. And that economic disempowerment, it didn't just happen in one generation. It was multi-generational. That's why it's a system. So when people say, well, if you get move this guy out or you move that guy out, I'm like, that's not the, the answer. The answer is the system that you have to change. Moving one person, they're just a figurehead. They're going to be replaced by someone else. It's the system. That's what we have to change. Harvard has a system where it does not empower people of color, period. They put up a sign so that people can think that they're such a liberal organization and they just uh, love everybody. No, they don't. No, they don't. Why is it that people who went to Harvard and other Ivy League schools who are people of color, come out so emotionally damaged. And I've just got to ask, is it really worth the networking? you got to tell me. Is it really worth it? Or were you the black student on, on campus? Or the brown student, the Latino student? Or you were the Indian on, on campus? Oh, you were the Arab ones on campus. Was it worth it? That thing that hangs over you where you're constantly trying to prove that you're better than what your color says about you because you keep judging yourself in the eyes of a white person who thinks that you're economically inferior, socially inferior, intellectually inferior. So you constantly are overcoming and trying to prove that you are better than that group of people whom they don't like. I need to ask you, is it worth it? Can you just walk in your lane and be you all day, every day? I am me all day. This is me. I don't prove, have to prove that I'm 10 times better than the next person. I just stay in my lane. I produce programs that are, if, you know, that, 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 that are considered excellent because that's my personal standard. I'm not here trying to prove that I'm, I, I don't subscribe to that because I don't subscribe to the thought that anyone is superior to me. It's that simple. I believe that I'm a human being and that I'm created and that all men are created equal. And that word man there means mankind, humanity. I believe that there's nobody else who has a superior intellect. They might be more studied, but just because they exist in their, in their frame of reference as a human being doesn't mean they're superior to me. They might have more exposure to more events and more other social activities. But that does not mean they're superior in intellect or thought or actions to me. That's the first prevarication we have to start. We have to start on that premise. And once we start there, it is going to change diametrically the way we think. And when it changes the way we think, we're onto something. We're going to have to change the way we think. You can no longer subscribe to the idea that somebody else is superior to you. It will change the way you address the issues. It will change the way you present yourself. I walk into somewhere, I come as I am. I am me. I don't walk in there as the black woman or the woman of Caribbean descent or the woman of the... 
I am me. Why you can't accept me as me? I'm Harriet Kimmick. I'm a woman. That's it. That's it. Do you see where I'm coming from? We've got to change the way we think. And when we change the way we think, it is going to impact everything else around us. You've got to stop seeing yourself in little pockets and hide because someone else thinks they're superior to you. Who might they be? As I used to say once upon a time, who art thou? Who art thou? To determine who I am. Did you create me? Was it you who held up the heavens and the stars and the galaxies? Did you create me? Did you determine the length of my days? Did you create my eyes and tell my teeth to be in my mouth, not on my hands? That's how I look at it. We've got to change the way we think. We need to start looking at it. This is my country, and I have a right to be here. And if I have a right to be here, that means I have a right to everything that is here just as equally as everyone else. Now, with that right comes corresponding responsibility. Yeah, it's a privilege, yeah. And it comes with corresponding responsibility. Obey the law, subscribe to the laws and the government and so on. Of course, that's a given. But outside of that, when I step outside of that forum and that environment, and I now interact with institutions of higher learning who want to attach a label to me because it wants to put me in a box to determine how they're going to treat me and other people who sound like me and look like me, that's where the problem lies. Because now I have to look at where that is coming from. Who is saying that about me? Let me put you in your box. Let me show you how you sound when you land on me based on who you are. We've got to start seeing people as who they are. They're human beings. Gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, you're a human. Black, white, brown, those are the colors we come in as humans. You're human. That's it. You're human. And if we look at it from that context, then it's the, that is the change that we're going to see. Shame on Harvard and other higher education institutions who continue to dispossess and disavow the work of minority professors and minority students. Shame on all of them. Shame for placing a greater burden on people of color to produce more and do more just to be accepted in academia. To heck with you. You don't impose that on people who are white and people who look like you. Shame. And yet you pretend to be liberal. Are you really? Show me your stripes one more time. It's a shame, people. We need to talk to our children. When our children are aspiring to go to college, like I told my kids, a four-year degree is a four-year degree. You want to go to law school, a law degree is a law degree. It's what you do with it afterwards. Make something of yourself. Do something that is impactful. That's what you do with what you've learned. People want to, my daughter wants to go to medical school. Medical degree is a medical degree. People go to medical school in Mexico and come and work in the United States as doctors. 
does that mean they're any less of a doctor? Nope. As long as they pass the entrance exam, they made it, right? That's all that matters. So does it matter if you got your obtained your degree from Harvard or Dartmouth or Brown? Does it matter? It shouldn't. What should matter is that you are respected and elevated and treated as a significant member of the population, that your humanity is greater than anything else around you. This is Harriet Kamek. This has been Down to Earth. Thank you so much. For joining us for more information, go to our website, HarrietKemick.com. As usual, you can listen to more of our shows on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever your favorite podcast platform is. Continue to be a blessing to us and continue to help us as we continue to bring more programs like this. Stay tuned. Tomorrow on our show, we're going to talk about who is taking care of our elders. We need some more geriatrics to take care of the geriatric population as we, we age. And of course, You can listen to our previous podcast on the various podcast platforms. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. It's a new year, a new you, a new decade. We're on to something big here. Continue to send up prayers for all of us. We appreciate it. Thank you so much, everybody. Be blessed. It's been great. Thank you so much, everybody. Thank you so very much for being a part of my experience today. Thank you, everybody. Be blessed. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.